welcome to All Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker, and me, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair. This recording takes place online in the area of safe physical distancing. Our featured guest today is Hannah Shafi. Hannah Shafi is a writer and artist who illustrates under the name of Frizz Kid. Both her visual art and writing frequently explore themes such as feminism, body politics, racism, and pop culture with an affinity to horror. A graduate of Ryerson University's journalism program, she has published articles in publications such as The Walrus, Aslit, this magazine, Torontoist, Huffington Post, and has been featured on BuzzFeed India, BuzzFeed Canada, CBC, Flair Magazine, Mashable, and Shameless. Known on Instagram for her weekly affirmation series, she is also the recipient of the Women Who Inspire Award from the Canada Canadian Council for Muslim Women. Born in Dubai, Shafi's family immigrated to Mississauga, Ontario in 1996, and she currently lives and works in Toronto. Her first book, It Begins with the Body, Book Hug 2018, was named by CBC as a Poetry Book of the Year. Welcome, Hannah. Hello. So, Hannah, your latest work is Small, Broke, and Dirty. Small, yeah. Broke kind of dirty affirmations for the real world and it's published by book hug and we are so excited that you're going to be a guest at this year's virtual book fest windsor on october 17th so you're an author a journalist and a visual artist how do you carve out time for all these endeavors do you tend to tackle one project at a time or can you work on all of them simultaneously um i think sometimes it's a it's kind of simultaneous i don't do journalism as much anymore like i will write an article here or there every now and then, but um, I mostly fo focus on the visual art and the book writing stuff for now. So I, I don't know, I find that I tend to sort of like do everything at once in a very disorganized way. <laughs> it's not really a great system, but it works for me. What's your writing process? Is there a certain place where you like to write or is there a particular time of day? I find that my writing process kind of changed during the pandemic because um, generally I would leave the house. Like I can't really do work in my apartment because I just get really lazy at home. And like, instead of working, I'll just like put on Netflix and take a nap. Um, so I would often like leave the house. I would go to my favorite coffee shop, just like somewhere where I could be um, removed from my couch and feel a little bit more motivated to do work. And then because of the pandemic, like that, you know, couldn't really happen, couldn't really go anywhere. So I had to change my routine quite a bit um, and get used to just like writing at home on my couch with like distractions from home around me. Um, and that was a bit of a difficult transition. But I find in terms of like time of day, it's like usually like later in the day. I'm absolutely not a morning person. So um it would just like sort of like chaotic random times between mid afternoon to like late at night. It would kind of be like on and off writing in between all those times. So 
Um, it was definitely a bit of a chaotic schedule and a very, very difficult transition during the pandemic. Did you have to work to a deadline during the pandemic? Um, yes. I, I think when things sort of, I think when like Toronto went into like a state of emergency, I had a couple of deadlines for the book. Um, but like, I think by then a lot of the book was still written. It was mostly like in the editing phase. So it was, um, I think the bulk of the work had been mostly produced. Um, so I, I had some deadlines, but like they weren't, I, I work a lot better with deadlines to be honest. Um, if I don't have a deadline, I won't, I just won't do it <laughs> at all. So until someone tells me like, okay, we actually need this by a certain time, I won't actually work on it. So um, maybe that's part of your journalistic background, you think? How else yeah. might your, your journalistic background might have impacted on your literary writing? Well, I mean, I, def I mean, in terms of deadline, definitely like wanting to work on a deadline is very much like leftovers from journalism school. Um, and I think the others, like I started, so this book is essays, um, whereas my first book was poetry. And I actually started doing like personal essays because of being in journalism. Um, I had an internship in my fourth year with this magazine um, and it was a really amazing experience for me. And I got to write this really in-depth personal essay um, for the magazine and that ended up getting nominated for a national magazine award. So I kind of felt like, oh, like this is something that I'm good at. And this is like a really, for me, I realized that personal essay was actually um, a very effective way of storytelling. And people, I found that even when I saw journalists that I really like looked up to writing personal essays, um, I felt a very deep connection to them when I would read those. And they would be tackling issues that affected a lot of different people. It's not like you're just reading an anecdote that's like totally random. Um, there's always kind of a bigger connection. And so I realized that that was a really effective way of talking about an issue, but also like intimately connecting with people. And so after uh, I sort of like stopped pursuing a full-time career in journalism and kind of started focusing on art and doing a little bit of journalism, like a little bit of essay writing here and there, uh, just freelance. And so when I had the idea for this book, I knew I really wanted to get back into that essay writing. Like I had missed doing it a lot. So I kind of got to tap into that voice that I was writing in years prior that I had sort of set aside when I was writing uh, my poetry book. What is it that you like about the act of writing an essay? What is it that you get out of it as a, as a writer? There's something very fulfilling about it. Like when I was writing poetry, I, one of the things I struggled with a lot was like removing that, that journalistic voice that wants to explain everything. And I had to um, kind of start embracing the abstract a bit more. And that was very hard for me. But one of the things I love about essay writing is like, it's, you have like all the room in the world to enrich it with detail. And that's not to say that you should like ramble or use more words than you need to. Um, but there is something like very just vibrant and enriching and intense about, about essay writing, about getting to really like dive into a story. And I find for me, the essay writing um, was more natural for me because I generally just like, like telling stories like 
locally telling stories like with my friends and family that was like always like I when I would like tell stories to my parents about like I don't know weird things that happened at work or in my day um my dad would always encourage me to write them down he was like you know the way that you're like orating the story he's like write it down like write it like this um because he always believed that like telling a great story was this in incredibly powerful thing and so I there's something about essay writing that just it just captures that immediately for me. The reviews for your new book, Small, Broke, and Kind of Dirty, have been stellar. It's a book of affirmations in a non-traditional sense, dealing with body politics, pop culture, racism, femini feminism, and, and other things. What was your inspiration for writing this book? So um, I have my affirmation art series. I started it in March 2016, sort of unintentionally started it. I was just sort of making art and then a couple of pieces, one piece in particular from that series went viral. And then all of a sudden people were like looking at my art, which was super weird for me because um, I didn't think that that was gonna happen and I didn't go to art school. So I kind of just thought I was like doodling online relatively anonymously. Um, so that I've been doing that series on an almost weekly basis for four years now. And I did have some people say to me like, just like people on social media say that I should put together the affirmations in a book. Um, maybe not all of them because I've done over 200, but like the best of them are my favorites or people's favorites. And like, I liked the idea, but like I, I, for me, I was like, I can't just do like, like just a coffee table book with like just the images. Like the writer in me can't do that. And like, I can't just put out this book without, without really getting into what was happening behind all of these different affirmations. Because when you post stuff on Instagram, like it's a great medium, but there's obviously only so much you can say. You can write stuff in the captions, but it is very much a, vis a visual form of social media. So people are not really looking to read whole essays in the captions of the work. So people would, you know, see, see the affirmation artwork. They like the message in the drawing. They like it. That's great. But I was like, if I'm going to put these in a book, I want to get a lot deeper into it. And I also want to sort of demystify them because some of the viral, the viral images in the series, like they kind of went everywhere. Um, and I feel like people attributed like this mysticalness to them of like, oh my God, like what, like you, like I've had people message me like, oh my God, like you're so wise for like writing this and like making this thing. But I sort of wanted to like bring it back down to earth because a lot of the affirmations were inspired by like pretty universal run-of-the-mill experiences that like we all go through. Like I was making some of those affirmation pieces because I was unemployed and I hated my life, which is like pretty mundane. That's a lot of a lot of people feel that way. So I wanted to create these essays to capture these like sort of seemingly mundane stories, but showing that like we kind of all go through these motions and like that's what connects people yeah <laughs> if that makes sense you cover some serious issues in small broke and kind of dirty but you manage to do it with a certain approachability a lightness of touch how was the process was it easy or difficult for you to find the right voice and tone for the book um yeah, there were some diff difficulties in, in the tone. Like, I I knew that I wanted the book to lean into humor a lot more, um, to be really light, to be really funny. Um, in my previous book, the poems that were 
humorous were received really well and were really, really fun to read in front of audiences and like get people laughing. It was just, I don't know, I like I really enjoy making people laugh. But I also knew that I wanted to touch on things that were very explicitly political because the affirmation art series is very political. And I do touch on things that are um, considered taboo topics or inflammatory topics. Um, but I wanted to touch on them in a way that was casual and like non-academic because I think with a lot of very heavy political subjects, the writing is, um, it's extremely heavy. It can be hard to access because a lot of times political writing is very academic and that tends to alienate people. And, and you, I find like people will sort of give up on trying to understand an issue because the language feels beyond them. And even for me, like I went to university and like remember reading journals, but even for me, I, I find a lot of um, academic writing to be very inaccessible. Um, and so I knew like, okay, I want to broach these tough subjects, but I want to broach them in a way that's like very easy for people to grasp. And that's rooted in actual real life examples. So for example, in the one um, essay that I wrote about um, being pro-choice, I referenced a particular story in which I was part of like a pro-choice uh, counter protest because like I wanted all these sort of big issues that are hard to touch to be grounded in these specific um, small events. Like it was just a little pro-choice counter protest at a university campus, but it's connected to this massive issue about reproductive rights. So I find like when you ground it in these these little things, it's easier for people to, to get a hold on the difficult subject matter. So who are you talking to? Who are you hoping to reach most with this book? I think um, other millennial women. I do really like the idea of, of youth reading it as well. Um, it be, I think that would be super cool if I could like connect with, with youth that way. And um, I know that my previous book was used in a couple of high school curriculums and I got some messages from teachers um, about students who like their book and that was really cool. But I think that the main audience is definitely like women um, in their 20s to mid to late 30s because that's sort of like my generation group. Um, and I think that's definitely who will relate to it the most, especially because some of my reference pop culture references in the book probably seem... Um, dated to, to today's youth because <laughs> I re like reference like TV shows and stuff that are no longer even running anymore. So um, yeah, so definitely like women in my age group, but also especially racialized women. I mean, I'm writing as a brown girl and as someone who's an immigrant to this country and um, I want other women of color, um, especially young brown girls to be able to see that brown women have narratives beyond suffering and trauma that we also have very joyful and playful narratives and i think that's really important for especially for young racialized women to be exposed to that and to be exposed to the idea that um racialized women can have futures beyond trauma and can have futures that are filled with hope and possibility excellent so what's your next project oh i don't know i think um uh, i think i want to do another another poetry book again I kind of have sort of an idea for it but it's it's here and there so I definitely think I want it I want to like sort of do almost like a follow-up to uh, 
it begins with the body, but it also depends how things go with this book. Um, you know, this is my first time putting out a book of essays and I have no idea how it will be received. And I especially have no idea how it will be received during a pandemic um, where so many book events are, are virtual. Like even I'm planning my book launch right now and it's virtual and that's a completely different thing for me. Um, and so I, I want to see how this gets received. Um, I want to see like, hey, should I continue writing essays? But I definitely think there's like um, a part of me that's, that's nostalgic for writing poetry again. Would you like to read something for our listeners? Yes, I would. I learned to be vulnerable on New Year's Eve of 2013 slash 2014. It was the first time I had ever cried in front of my core circle of friends, with the exception of one of them. We were all at a dive bar called Sneaky D's, a cheap hangout that's sort of a Toronto legend, famously included in the graphic novel series, Scott Pilgrim. Greasy nachos, cheap beer, and a very creaky dance floor upstairs. I was thrilled to be spending New Year's Eve out with my friends at a Toronto bar with no curfew. I'm an immigrant kid, so this is a huge deal. I'd been going through a hard time over the previous few months. Hard time is the neat phrase that I use to package the intangible terrors of being stressed, anxious, and filled with ex existential dread while in university. Hard times is code for, don't ask, shit just really blows. That night, something in me snapped. The girl who had never cried in front of her friends, even while watching sad movies, yes, even The Notebook, even Titanic, was suddenly sobbing, fighting through tears to articulate what was wrong like an out of breath second graders who, who's lost it seemingly for no reason at recess. Mascara running, glittery eyeshadow turning into a milky pool of yuck around my waterline. I just stood in the middle of the bar as folks clinked glasses and danced for the hopeful new year, crying. My newfound emotional depth decided to make its debut in the most embarrassing, pathetic way imaginable. Why couldn't I have just shed a few tears during Lion King like a normal person? I shuffled over to the bartender and asked for a tissue. I'm sure he assumed I was just another girl who'd had too many whiskey sours and was surrounded by shitty friends. It was humiliating, and in that moment, I wish it hadn't taken me 20 years to learn to be vulnerable. I wish I'd realized sooner that it's okay to show the weak, broken parts of yourself, and that showing those parts actually isn't weak or broken at all. In fact, it's the strong thing that'll help you piece yourself back together. Perhaps if I had learned how to express vulnerability earlier, as a child, even as a teenager, I wouldn't have chosen New Year's Eve in a crowded bar as the prime time and location for my breakdown. Or maybe it was fate, a very literal outpouring of the years that had passed in order to cleanse myself of the future. After th this display of vulnerability, I learned who my real friends were. While some were there to hold my hand and say it was okay, others looked visibly irritated. When you show the deepest parts of yourself, of your life, not everyone is going to like what they see. But through those responses, you get a sense of who truly loves you, of who is willing to offer empathy and patience, even when you're wailing in a public place and getting snot all over your hands. This is why vulnerability is a gift. It's a net that will catch all the yuck, all the people who aren't worth it. And what flows through is the good stuff, the things that matter. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Hana Shafi. So your latest book is Small, Broken, Kind of Dirty, and we are so looking forward to seeing you participate in this year's BookFest Windsor Festival du Livre, which will be held virtually October 15th to 18th, and we hope lots of our listeners can join us there too.
Yes, I'm very excited. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.